0: Reef Therapy by Reef Builders is powered by ICP Analysis. What's in your water? Hey, Reef Builders, and welcome to episode number 80 of the Reef Therapy Podcast. My name is Remy. I'm joined by the owner of Reef Builders, Mr. Raj, and our guest this episode is one of the owners of Top Shelf Aquatics, Kevin Berta. Excited to have Kevin on the show today. Kevin has been in several Reef Builders videos over the years. Most recently taking us through all the grafted corals that they have at Top Shelf Aquatics. and That was a fun episode. I loved seeing all that. Um, Today, I want to talk about the things that we overthink in our reef tanks. The things that we spend too much time on in the long run that don't really matter or will probably naturally resolve on their own. Uh, we'll get to that after some general reef talk off the top, Kevin. Anything exciting going on at Top Shelf right now? Any obstacles you guys have to overcome? Any? I know you wanted to talk about the uh, the coral grow out contest that's currently happening, so it, I'll give you the floor. Anything going on in your world?
1: Well, you know, with our facility and the amount of tanks and systems we have, there's always a billion things going on, or at least it seems that way to me. Um, I would say, you know, some of the bigger things we've been launching and expanding are the live foods um i think you guys have actually uh, posted a video about that recently so you know that that's been a you know fun part of expansion with the business you know i torn down some other older systems and put in a uh, you know fish qt new invert system for you know shipping out a lot more inverts to our customers online um, built out an aptasia system so with all this building now it's kind of playing catch up because, you know, there was a lot of corals that kind of got overgrown and, you know, certain issues that we kind of let get behind, like, um, you know, battling some algae issues in one of our systems. So it's kind of interesting. Um, we fired up an algae scrubber. So that's kind of my first go round with that. And that clear water has been doing a, a real good job. I mean, yeah, definitely helped polish off a lot of that. It's kind of interesting, you know, took the screen and glued the actual algae that we were trying to eradicate to it to kind of seed it and let it sit over the weekend. And, you know, within about a week, that thing was, you know, really filling in. So I've had a good experience with that. And that's the first time I've really run one though, on a large system like that.
0: What system is that on? Uh, just uh, from, you know, my recollection of the farm, I kind mm-hmm. of have a general idea
1: so when you walk in if you recall and you go to the right there is that one system that was by the packing station where we have a lot of the um, you know the acroporas that we're growing out um, kind of conditioning ones that we've collected from the wild um, things like that before they run through quarantine and you know that one was battling a little of this recurring uh, hair algae I think it was you know partly due to some old tank syndrome, possibly as well, we ended up removing the uh, the substrate in that one specific tank in the system and kind of doing a, a revamp there as well, just to kind of give it a good refresh and boost up the flow and um, you know kind of give it a little jump start
0: not to get into controversy right off the top, but Raj, we've got two farm owners now that have said that that scrubbers <laughs> are helping them. What do you say to that? I'd like to see the uh,
2: data on that. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely would like to see some numbers on that. But look, if it works, it works, right? Yeah. I I think
1: for us specifically, it's not necessarily about just one way of exporting nutrients. You know, it was specifically targeting that one strain of algae. That tended to grow even in systems that weren't really high in nutrients, where a lot of other algaes weren't thriving. And by creating an area where that specific one could thrive, I think it just helps out compete itself. And you know, that, that's the kind of theory there. I mean, we still ran a refugium on that system, we still have a skimmer, um, you know, could use GFO. If we needed to to kind of level things off and balance stuff. So, you know, it's it's kind of tweaking this, doing this here. But the main thing was trying to target that specific algae. And uh that makes sense to, work. to me.
2: That makes more sense to me because that's working just like a refugium was meant to work, right? You you mm-hmm. well, in a certain sense, you cultivate those specific algaes in there and mm-hmm. give them an easier place to live so that they don't colonize your main display. Yeah. So if I'm understanding that's kind of what you use that for. And and you, exactly. you hit a big thing for me is it's just a tool, right? And I talk mm-hmm. about this all the time where there's not one magic silver bullet, you need a whole arsenal of tools and each tool it's going to do its part. So yeah, you know, the the way that you're using that it it makes sense to me. Um what I have an issue with is anybody claiming that one piece of equipment is all you need and it's going to do absolutely everything. It's going to take care of every single parameter, every issue you have. It's, you know, it's holy water. You, you connect it to the tank and that's all you need.
1: Yeah, I would never go to that extreme. I mean, every system's different. So, you know, even for us as um, large scale coral farmers, I mean, you know, there's a lot of systems that are set up pretty similarly that actually run slightly different, and sometimes, you know, happen to go a, a, you know one way or another. And we have to run the refugium a lot harder over here, or maybe wet skim over here, or um, you know, balance things out more by dosing nitrate or using GFO and all that. You know, it's not just oh you know this one piece of equipment does the job. It's more about shooting for our parameters and trying to keep stability there and there's a lot of different avenues to go about that.
0: I know you guys keep um, a lot of herbivorous fish as kind of utilitarian Mm -hmm. fish in those tanks. Was it growing too fast or was this strain of algae something they were just not interested in?
1: That's the problem is it it seems to be uh, a type of algae that it's more toxic I've seen it pop up in the past in some other systems that i would kept and you know I have seen it in different areas. Um, we've even run experiments where we've tried to force different types of cleaners and things like that to eat it by concentrating a lot of that algae. And if they consume it over a longer period of time as their sole diet, it actually poisoned them to where they would die. Um, So what happens in a lot of the the closed systems is if you build up an abundance of it and you don't have an overloaded cleaner crew, then it just kind of runs rampant and the fish don't touch it at all. I mean, even rabbit fish, um, you know, blennies, all, all those types of things. You know, we tried various urchins. We had minor success with long spines, but they're not the most reef safe. And again, it's not something where it just cruised around and just led a a clean path below it it seemed like the biggest thing was knocking it back enough to where your cleaner crew could then maintain it by eating minimal amounts at a time without being their sole diet so you know that was definitely a, a big help there and i think the scrubber helped minimize it too uh in addition to manual removal i mean sometimes just taking out some of those rocks, doing a peroxide bath, um, you know, things like that you can do to, to refresh things as well.
0: See, even farms have algae issues sometimes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> hey, more tanks, more problems. I mean, yep. it's, it's always the way it goes, but you know, even though we try to keep things perfect all the time, they can't all be perfect, yeah. especially when it comes to algae.
0: Well, let's talk, let's talk briefly about the uh, about the grow-out contest. I did see mm-hmm. that uh, Queen of Reef posted something today in her tanks, and it looks like her, her uh, grow-out frags are doing pretty well. I got a report back from Jack today. Our frags are in the uh, former Montipora heavy system, and mm-hmm. he said that they're all doing well, and the Long Island especially has doubled in size. So oh, nice. I'm excited to see some some photos he said he would send some over but sounds like every it's they're all doing well which is good given you know the pricing on some of them yeah i mean most
1: of those strains well actually every single one that we had included in the contest were ones that tend to do really well in a whole slew of systems at our farm so i think they will grow well for most people um you know the period of time from when we started the contest to now is probably that sort of acclimation time where a lot of them are settling in, maybe adjusting to, to you know parameter changes or light changes. I think in the coming months, that's when we're really going to see things take off. And um, yeah, I mean, hopefully see some explosive growth across the board. I'm excited to see where it all ends up.
0: Yeah, we need to get some, uh, some reels going on that for sure. We'll have, oh, yeah. Uh, Jack, so, shoot some video. Anything else on that you wanted to talk about? Uh, You know, not
1: too much. I think the whole concept is just kind of fun and interesting, you know, seeing what the differences are that people pull as far as coloration and, you know, growth and and just how they all look when they're starting from the same point and going into all these systems that kind of like we were talking about before, you know, they might be accomplishing the same goal, but they're being run maybe six different ways, you know completely different parameters, maybe completely different lighting, different philosophies. I mean, there's a a whole bunch of ways to be successful in this hobby and, you know, to really kind of stack them up against each other and and then look back and see what those differences are. That that intrigues me a lot. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That's going to be the most interesting part there is seeing how all of these corals did and how the colors may have shifted. Mm -hmm. Growth patterns are going to be slightly different. And seeing, you know, what each person was doing, their husbandry practices, their equipment, um, even their fish load, you know, just and and stuff that they're feeding. Um, I'm I'm super psyched to get into that end of it because that's that's where I really I geek out on that stuff. So,
1: Mm, um, yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah, that'll be uh, it'll be fun to see at the end for sure uh and and compare those parameters. Um I wanted to get into do, do you have anything else anything going on at the farm that you want to talk about other than those couple things, Kevin?
1: Or your well, tank. Yeah, like yeah. I said there's always a, a bunch of stuff going on. I mean, you know, we're getting ready to switch the website too. So that'll be interesting. Um yeah, I mean, on top of that, we're moving all the dry goods out of the unit. I don't know if you saw over next to the retail store where we had all that stuff before. So we rented that place out. So that's gonna get moved. And then we're revamping the website. You know, Steven's been working hard on that one for months. So, you know, the whole TSA express where we're gonna be doing overnight shipping on uh, on dry goods. Um, I think that's gonna be, you know, really big for anyone who, let's say your pump goes out or something like that. Those key pieces of equipment that you might need right away. So it yeah. gives people options for that. And that's Absolutely. some area that we're expanding. Yeah, that's good because yeah, I that's feel it, like
0: that's interesting. Amazon usually it, it could be there, I guess, in some places, but you know, I feel but like they don't have
1: Vortex on Amazon. <laughs> yeah. And if they do,
0: they're and if they do, they're gouged or yeah. you know, the price is outrageous. So that's good that, you know, you guys are obviously a trusted source mm-hmm. for that. So if you do need something overnight, you got it. Maybe throw in some coral too, you know. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It's, it's crazy how impatient we've become. Yeah. Oh like, oh, I, I we went from dial up internet to where it was going to take a long time to do anything to now, if it takes an extra second to load your website, I'm spazzing out. Like, I don't have time for this bullshit. <laughs> and now overnight service on dry goods. And it, it's just insane how far we've come and how impatient we've gotten.
1: Oh, totally. I mean, especially as uh, you know, business owners and, and uh, just the lifestyle where you're just go, go, go all the time. I mean, it's almost a culture shock where I go back in time, like when I visit my mother in upstate New York and I go to this, uh, you know, slow town out in the middle of nowhere. And it's like, man, everyone, I'm just waiting in line to check out with groceries and like, I swear it's 30 minutes. My head's about to explode. I'm like, I'm on vacation. Relax. I don't have anything to do. Everybody's got so, to catch up, you know,
0: yeah. to catch up, see what's going on, what's <laughs> happened in the last 24 hours on the street. Yeah, I guess.
2: <laughs> when I go to grocery shopping, I am stuck behind the one person in the self-checkout counter that has never seen the self-checkout counter, hmm. doesn't know how payments work. They're trying to write a check. <laughs> They've never written a check before, so they're trying to figure that part out. And every single item that they're scanning, they have to get assistance for. I'm like, God.
1: Well, You're, you're uh, way too busy. You need to get the Walmart Um, program where you can actually have them dropped off right at your front door i mean that's what i do
2: that that's yeah we're we're in the uh grocery delivery mode now where nobody goes into the store (laughs) everything is delivered yep super lazy we got a big box
0: we got a big box store membership for the first time and you know one of the sam's costcos and Yes. We all went. The whole family went. <laughs> that is the last time that will happen. I can't tell you the last time that I actually like shopped for a full thing of groceries because everybody just does it for you. And most of the time, it's free to just go pick it up at the store. So, man, that was one task. And, and I know this is like first world problems, but that was like one task that if I could get that hour and a half back every single time I went to the grocery store. Oh, my gosh. And I and I have now, which is amazing. So anyways. There it's you great. go. <laughs> I, I do Sam's this. too, and they yes. have
2: the Sam's Plus membership because they get all the free shipping, and so I can order all this. Like when when COVID initially hit, right before that, I had bought and I had accidentally double ordered TP. And so I had a few hundred rolls of toilet paper in my garage. Guy. You were that guy. I was that guy, but not on purpose. It was accidental. <laughs> but yeah, all that type of stuff, the, wow. the laundry detergent. And it, it's it's
1: amazing.
0: You saw COVID <laughs> coming and you were like, yeah, toilet paper, I let's did. go. There's going to be a shortage here. I never
1: understood how that was going to be the first thing to go. But <laughs> no. yeah.
2: it was funny that people were hoarding it. And I'm yeah. I'm the accidental hoarder. And I was like, well... Damn, what do I do? Do I put this stuff on eBay or yes? Like hand it out to neighbors that are running
0: out? Ten dollars a roll. I
1: I had the guys in the the farm there when we ran out of our usual order um using some of that that low ply stuff and they were they were not having it, you know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Well, to get back on track here, uh, I'll, I'll 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 say from my perspective here, I've, I've been Kevin, I've been working on this Red Sea behind me and I've got one light up. What's up? Uh, but I actually sent Kevin a bunch of pictures of Aquascape. And it was mm-hmm. funny because I combine some of the stuff that he had done from for a four foot tank that's still dry. It's sitting over here. I talk about it almost every episode. Um, but the priority right now is the Red Sea. And I had this first aquascape going and I had his two pieces on the side. And I remember just feeling, I felt the vibes from his text, Like, please don't use that, (laughs) which I made specifically for a different tank in this Red Sea tank.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a bit of a rock snob, I would say. I mean, (laughs) when it comes to aquascaping, it's, it's, you know, kind of a hobby within the hobby, something that I you know put a lot of thought and effort to and you know make a lot of custom escapes like um well that one that you'd probably see coming up with sandler when he gets water running in that uh, new big tank out in his office the 2500 gallon you know that was a fun project um you know i've been working on a lot of different rocks i think since the time that i built yours probably have evolved to like whole nother level as far as some of the complexity and and uh, unique structures that I've been putting together so it'll be really interesting I'll have to shoot just some pictures and videos and when you stop by and you see that that little tank in my office that one's gonna blow your mind Uh, literally rock hanging partially in the water and out of the water and I'm taking that concept and we're gonna be using that um, in a little nano 15 gallon that we're gonna be putting in our studio we're going to be doing a lot of the social media videos and that one has the same kind of hybrid in and out rock structure where we started actually incorporating air plants. You know, that was kind of, um, you know, something that I was getting into at my house with a freshwater tank that I was, you know, kind of working with my son on and started tinkering around with those air plants with some driftwood and kind of took that concept and wanted to see how it would work with the the saltwater. So, You know, that's in the trial phases. It's definitely a really interesting look. So I'll have to send over some pictures whenever, you know, you get a chance.
0: For sure. Uh, What are you using? Because I got, I picked up this. Do you use this? This uh, Glue Master's Thin Viscosity. It's like water super glue.
1: (laughs) So I found that that stuff, well, some people will use that for for building the whole thing. Uh, Me personally, I like Julian's real thick gel super glue um that stuff will fill gaps and and i find it can work really really fast where i don't have to layer over and over and over again yeah um though i will say that that thin stuff comes in really handy to kind of lock the sand in the mm-hmm. bonds when you're trying to hide the bonds a little bit better
0: i did most of it with uh, bob smith stuff mm-hmm. um, and kind of use sand in between the cracks and crevices as well but yeah, that was uh, that was my first like large aquascape project, and I'm interested to see what you think about how it came out once I get like water in the tank and everything's going. Um, but yeah, that was uh, that was a lot of fun. At the same time, going back to what Raj had said about a 130 gallon tank being small, you know, when you start dealing with larger pieces like that, it does. It fills up pretty quickly and uh you know, you still want you still want swim throughs, you still want heidi holes, you still want all the things, right? So mm-hmm. uh it just it it goes really fast. So I I really want to see, and I've kind of seen some of the footage that you did for Sandler, but I, I can't wait to actually see that in in uh in context, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, okay. that That's that'll phenomenal. be his small tank, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Was
2: it twenty five well no, it's 100? gonna be his medium tank. Yeah, that's true. That's That's true. That's the medium tank, but it it looks pretty incredible. So I can't wait um, until it's filled. And there's a lot of plumbing going on right now. All the life support equipment going in. So um, I've got to get back out there too. And I'm looking forward to seeing how that fills in with coral.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: So I officially am going to go with uh, live rock, Raj. Um, Or at least I'm seeding. I'm seeding with. Uh, some live sand that I got from Tampa Bay salt water. Um, and after reading it, did you, so Salem, who's one of our newer writers on the, on the reef builders team, uh, he has this recent article talking about, you know, bacteria and the microbiome and how, you know, we've got UV sterilizers and antibiotics and all these things that we use nowadays, and that's become common practice, but we're really, we're doing a lot of damage to the microbiome by, by doing all that. So I figured, I don't know, I'm just gonna try this and we'll see what happens. And if, you know,
1: <laughs> if I've got
0: mantis shrimp and all this stuff in my <laughs> tank, then Raj can laugh at me later. <laughs> uh, but I think When you, that's when the- you get the reef scabies, Okay, that, yeah. that's what we'll laugh. At <laughs> yeah, that's that's the route that I'm gonna I'm gonna go to at least upstart or you know I just I, I don't think I've ever started a tank with straight up dry rock like there like the, it would be starting from absolute scratch from a bacteria standpoint. Um, you know, obviously I'd use turbo start or you know some bacteria involved to start the tank, but I don't know. I just I I'd f- feel better knowing that there's some sort of you know, something going on there uh, from a, com- you know, a complexity uh, standpoint with the microbiome. So, so you bring that up.
1: It's um, something that we've kind of taken that concept, um, like even way back in the day when I first got in the hobby, it was common practice that you would scoop up the scum from the rock bin, you know, to get as much yeah. of that, um, you know, life out of there and kind of throw in your aquarium. I mean, we have gone far away from those days and and try to be very selective about what we put in our aquariums but to what you were saying as far as invigorating it with some mature bacteria we started taking a lot of um you know like the the biomedia spheres from max spec and ice cap and putting those in a lot of our old systems seeding them with the old old live rock like i think i have pieces of rubble from my first reef tanks that are still lingering in the store and some of the sumps and and things like that, just covered in all natural sponge and all sorts of goodies in there. So, you know, we do try to seed a lot of that. And then if we start a new system, we'll take that biomedia and put it in, you know, in a back compartment or a sump or something like that, and then incorporate that with your dry dead rock structure and a lot of times use live sand to help invigorate that too and that'll give you a little more diverse bacteria um, in that system and then usually we'll seed a tank with a whole slew of different beneficial copepods just to kind of you know add what we want so you know we do like the three different pods and even the amphipods too a lot of times we'll seed in there. Uh, Any beneficial critters that we kind of find throughout the farm or growing in our systems like, hey, you know, I see a stomatella snail here. Let me grab like two or three of these and I'll chuck it in this new system and just kind of get that thing going. You know, like micro brittle stars a lot of times too. you know, just just spreading the life around in the tank. So that way it sort of will get you those benefits. But then we don't necessarily have to throw in the mantis shrimp and, you know, (laughs) some of those more negative um, critters that you might want to avoid. Yeah. You know, like some mm-hmm. people are scared to death of bristle worms. Some people love them. So, you know, we'll leave that to uh, to you if you want those. See,
2: Berta knows what's up. Yep. <laughs> you control what goes in there. I want mm-hmm. to bring up uh, Garf again, but they had a product that they called Garf Grunge, oh, yeah. which is exactly what you're talking about. You know, is just the rubble and dirt at the bottom of their live rock bin Yeah, that was used to see tanks and that's where all the good stuff is mm-hmm. and none of the bad
0: stuff. Yeah. As Tross says, the schmutz. The schmutz? Yes. <laughs> yes. He's very fond of it. <laughs> uh, so that's all happening Monday. I got a little trip to the airport to go, you know, pick that stuff up, but um, mm-hmm. that'll be up and running by the next podcast. Um so cycle starts Monday. Uh, yes. I'm pretty excited about that. So, excited to get some some life into this tank i just feel like if there's one frustrating part about where i'm at right now it's just there's so much crap all over this basement there's boxes and cords and blocks and there's just everything it's all over i can't wait until i can get it like show ready super nice i'm proud of the space And I'm sure everybody goes through this where especially in especially in like a a fish room or something where it can just get so cluttered so quickly. And you're like, where's my tweezers? You know, where's my brushes? They're scattered all over the place. So I can't wait to get organized. And I'm really taking time to do it the right way as far as wire management and, you know, mounting controllers. And Red Sea has this really cool control like slider on their tanks now. I think it's an, it's an option, but I got it and I've been mounting all the controller uh, boxes to that and it's, it's awesome. So
1: just whatever you do, your electrical panel, make it twice as big as you think it's going to have to be because man, with all these DC power packs these days, I mean, I swear they they fill up so fast. It's just insane. Even that little one on my, um, my desk with no power heads, you know, the, the little compartment above it. Has a section of junk like this big? The tank's only uh, you know thirty six inches long.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We I mean, did, we these... did a uh, an install or a build somewhat recently that had so many of those power packs. We had to build this huge box just to contain it and hide it all because there's just there's no way to make it look good. It was just it was hideous. Yeah, cable management is the is. That that takes the most time out of anything, but it makes the biggest difference, too, visually.
1: Definitely. Right. You know, it's um, one of those things that I'm pretty good at but hate. Yeah. And, uh, you know, plumbing, I, I actually do enjoy that. I think that's a little bit more of an art. The cable management, though, man, oh, just leaning over those sumps, kind of cramping yourself in there. I mean, I'm a fairly big guy, so... Getting in tight spaces is uh, never fun. You know, you get the bruises on the ribs from uh, leaning over that sump, and you know, in our systems, I mean, we try to maximize pretty much every inch. So we have yeah. sumps with lights and everything hung over them, and all that equipment there. So you can only imagine what we have to cram under those stands. It's all the wire management for yep. everything underneath. Apex systems, dosers, all that stuff. And then all the lighting and pumps and everything that are coming down from the top too.
0: Yeah, so. I love all, I love all the 3D printed stuff that's out there now. The you know power brick racks and things like that that you can you can have made. I, I just think that the 3D printer game has really stepped up over the past you know three to five years, which is cool. Oh, yeah. so if you know somebody with a printer, it, it can really uh, really help out as far as the organizational stuff goes for sure. Uh, yeah, especially if you
1: have a fish room and you have that space to really kind of get it out from the aquarium. Oh, that's a luxury right there. Yeah, definitely. So you're in a sure. good spot there. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah. So I've just got cable management to deal with, and then working on that for the next you know four or five days, and then we'll get salt water in this thing come Sunday. I would say. So nice. excited about that. Raj, uh, love the article on the on the SWAT. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because this, it, it's a watch, right? But they chose to feature one of the lesser-known things in the hobby, or lesser-known things in the mainstream. I would say a bunch of nudies on the back of this of this watch, which is like it's pretty cool to have a feature of those guys, right?
2: Yeah, that was the coolest part for me because it, the easy option was just to go with a coral reef theme or just a o- you know, basic yeah. fish or ocean theme. Uh, but they went hardcore and picked the, uh, picked the nudibranch, right? So the nudibranch from each area or each ocean to represent that ocean. So I thought it was really cool that they went at that deep into kind of looking into the oceans and seeing what animals are in there and picking something that normally isn't um, used by the masses, right? Or advertised. You don't see that. So that was really cool. And then the strap being recycled or reclaimed fishing nets. I thought that was a really, really good touch. Yeah. But yeah, when I saw that, I totally geeked out because it's just that fusion of this, the fish stuff that I love and the reef stuff and then watches and it's, I don't know, just kind of mashed together and they're 400 bucks if you can find them. I did go by the Swatch store today while I was in the city, and she told me that they're not even going to get any right now. That there's only nine stores in the U.S. that got any.
0: Yeah. So they laughed at you, yeah. and then they're like, <laughs> <laughs> "Get in one of those Black Friday lines, because that's the only way it's going to happen." That's it, <laughs> it. So yeah, they're they're
2: selling um, online right now for anywhere between eight hundred to twelve hundred dollars a piece. Yes. And Ooh. it's a four hundred dollar watch. Yeah. So. It's still a swatch at the end of the day. So. It is
0: still a swatch.
2: <laughs> <but>. <laughs> well, how's, how's the tank coming? So, you know, I, I've been in this in this slump, and I've been just stuck. And I've been stuck because I've been just overthinking every single detail. You know, I'm, I'm stuck because I didn't want um, – I was trying to figure out how do I cram absolutely everything I want to do under the stand, in my sump and it just had these mental roadblocks, you know. stuck with the aquascaping, like, what do I do? I wanna do something different. I wanna do something cool. Stuck with lighting, you know. We're, we're at the near Q4 where new products start to drop. So I'm thinking, all right, do I, do I jump and plan around the lighting that is out now, or do I just buy some time and see what new products are dropping? Because maybe I want that stuff. And it, I just finally got out of all of that funk, most all of it. Uh, and i have not gonna try and cram everything under the stand. I have freed up room behind the tank so I can do some of the filtration remotely. Like I'm, I like and I'm more used to, but it just gives me more space to do what I really wanna do. Um, so started really moving forward on that. Uh, and I'm, I'm psyched that I finally kind of got over that hurdle. And then with the aquascaping, I was really excited that Kevin, you're joining us because I want to do something different. And I had an idea of taking some of the rock and making a structure, but cutting it and, and gluing part of it on the outside of the tank and the other half of it on the inside. So it looks like it's piercing through the end panel of the tank and then, you know, doing something like like air plants or other type of aquatic plants and incorporating those in there, because I think that would be a really cool touch to it. Um, I I started going down all these rabbit holes, you know, I got out of one funk and then now I've launched into all these other cool things that I could do and stuck in this ever lasting, what can I do and what should I do? But that, that's, that's my latest and greatest. So, um, you know, how to attach that rock. If you, can you, can you actually attach the rock to the glass and it hold up over time? Or do I need to figure out some sort of, I don't know, support system that you can't really see? Um, yeah.
1: So for what you're talking about, I mean, you you literally just want to put what a small piece coming off. So
2: what I was going to do is take dry rock mm-hmm. and you know, build a structure or build a piece, not huge, but do something interesting with it and then take it on a tile saw and slice it Mm
1: -hmm. so that
2: I have nice clean edges to where it's going to look like part of that rock structure just went through the glass and the part that's sticking out of the glass, isn't going to be huge. Um, so, you know, I, I guess the internal structure could rest on the, on the floor, but I was ideally wanted it like that. Where it's just sticking out of the tank, you know, and floating. I, I Conceptually, I really like the floating idea. I think that could be really, really cool.
1: Yeah, I think it really comes down to how much weight might go on that piece internally. But if you're not planning on putting a lot there, uh, well, let me ask you this. Are you opposed to roughing up your glass at all to give it a little more grip for any no, adhesive?
2: Yeah, no, totally cool with that.
1: Yeah, I mean, that that would probably work. You could maybe do a tack bond with with super glue um, to just lock it in and then maybe use something like, um, you know, a silicone or E6000 glue and then just sprinkle sand around that, um, which adheres pretty strong to the glass, Um, you know, and, and I would probably figure out on the rock too, maybe if you are using some sort of rubberized or flexible adhesive, maybe, Something where you can wrap it around to sort of lock it in, so it'll okay. you know hold yeah, a little yeah. form there more so long term. Um, but yeah, I would think it would work. Yeah, I, I was thought. thinking.
2: I, I wasn't sure, so I was thinking silicone, but I wasn't sure if I go acetic cure silicone or do I go something with more elasticity like a Dow 795. Um, you know, there, there's pluses and minuses both ways, but. I guess the worst thing that can happen is it just falls, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, that'd be the worst. And you got <laughs> to drain it out right and down. reattach it. So maybe just mount it high enough so your uh, water changes will uh, you know, attach that one there. I mean, I guess I if you really wanted do to maintenance. go crazy, you could drill maybe a bulkhead hole and then put plugs in there or something and then use that structure to maybe embed the rocks around that but you might have to go a little more different than what you were talking about it was just a clean cut yeah you, know, you might actually have to bond a few rocks to lock it in
0: what if you just put here i had a thought with what if you bore out like i don't know half inch of each side and then use reef safe or uh, water safe magnets and then you can actually remove that when you're cleaning the glass it depends is- on how heavy it is, and I
1: think you'd yeah. have to Im- embed that in so it would have to be entombed some way where he could hide that pretty well. Yeah. Um, you need some pretty strong magnets on thick glass yeah. if you're holding any kind of decent rocks, though. That's the downside. So, yeah, I mean, if you have a source for that, you yeah. know be awesome. Let me know. I'd love to play around with them too. I could
2: get strong magnets, but they're huge, right? Yeah. For, for, to hold that type of weight, then it's not going
0: to slide down. They're going to have to be big. Mm -hmm. In my mind, I'm thinking this is just what, like a Tonga branch sticking out, right? Or are you thinking like a whole platform of...
2: Yeah, I was thinking bigger. I I wanted to have a little bit more to it. I mean, I know that I can't go too large because... There's just going to be too much torque on it, but I wanted to be able to grow coral on that piece
0: on the outside of the tank. No, on the inside.
2: (laughs) (laughs) The inside piece would be floating. The part on the outside would be would be small. Oh, just because
1: I I don't want to thinking, maybe an air plant or something like that.
2: Yeah, because I, I really thought that it'd be kind of cool if you know, that part sticking out in the air. And then part of my reef structure is also sticking out and can have some, some sort of plant. Um, and so I was gonna look to see other than mangroves, like what, what else, what other type of brackish plants could I get that would survive in that environment or, you know, just go with air plants. But I think figuring out some sort of way to put some plants, incorporate plants into it would kind of give a cool look.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I love that whole concept. I think that's, you know, kind of a whole new groundbreaking thing that could be, you know, kind of spreading what people are doing more in the freshwater and, uh, you know, paludariums and things like that, you know, kind of branching that into saltwater more. Right. Because uh, paludariums yeah, are grass at bass. Oh, there's, yeah. They yeah. are so
2: cool. And you- I
1: mean, I go crazy when I see some of those things. Those are amazing. The detail, yeah. the planning. Yeah.
2: Exactly. And there's there's so much you can do there. And to bring Mm -hmm. that in, into our side on the saltwater side,
0: I think, I just think it'd be cool if we could pull it off. Definitely. This idea is so Raj.
2: (laughs) What does that mean? (laughs) I just feel like this is so
0: you, this is, this is an idea that you would totally have. I like it. Uh, I kind of I feel like that kind of segues into our main topic and, you know, overthinking things.
1: <laughs> uh,
0: you know, and, and, and that almost, for me, uh, you know, getting into this this part of the conversation, overthinking for me usually results in crippled action. So I just, will be so, I'll be overthinking something so much that nothing moves at all. Like, nothing happens. I'm just trying to figure out this problem, whatever that may be. Um And I know we probably all have some things here, but I'll start at the very, very, like, beginner level here and saying that I think we overthink pests a lot. I can just, I remember my first reef tank I ever had, I remember seeding it with Live Rock, and I went to the LFS, and I got my my little piece of live rock because it was a smaller tank, and I'll never forget. It was like two weeks later, this little aptasia popped up, and I was like, "Those guys knew they sold me a piece of live rock <laughs> with aptasia on it." I can't believe they do something like that. So then I went through my head, and I was like, "Well, the tank's shot. I'm I'm done. I'm out. I've already got pests in this thing," and I just feel like with aptasia or flatworms or you know any of the any of the major pests that we see. They can resolve themselves over time. There are mitigation efforts that that can be done. There is hope. There is light at the end of the tunnel in most of these cases. So that would be where I would start with this conversation. Is just you know the over well, overthinking of pests.
2: An opposing view to that. Um, something that you're probably really familiar with: herpes. Right? <laughs> like you, you're gonna do I've everything. Been waiting all day for this. I feel like. <laughs> you're going to do everything you can to avoid it. But if you get it right, there's obviously ways to mitigate it. They have pills. There's things you do. Your life's not over. You can continue on, but you still have the herps. And it still doesn't take away from the fact that you probably should have done a better job of not getting them in the first place.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely with you there. I mean, prevention is always the, the best way to not have to deal with problems. But, you know, Remy has a point, too, when you're talking about the inevitability that, that certain things will get in the tank, like those common pests. Like Aptasia is one that, man, I mean, I couldn't imagine yeah. not ever having that land in the tank. I mean, I've seen inverts come in from the wild. With it on their shells. Yeah. You know, we go through when we're putting stuff into the farm where we'll even scrub the shells and kind of clean stuff to remove, you know, algae. Uh, but yeah, I find Asterina starfish on the shells all the time. Sometimes Aptasia, things like that. I mean, we'll glue over it or, you know, put it in a tank where we have peppermint shrimp or copper band or something like that. You know, again, just kind of educating yourself on what you're trying to, uh, to deal with. And just, you know doing it in a way that minimizes the, uh, the risks and effects overall.
0: Yeah. And flatworms like red planaria, especially Mm -hmm. can just, just proliferate like crazy in your Mm -hmm. tank. And I remember the first time that I got that and I was like, God, this is, it's like gut wrenching. The first time you see Mm -hmm. the amount of flatworms that can come off just one single frag plug in your tank, you know, you pull it out and you're dipping it and it's like, there's, three, 400 that you didn't see that were existing on this frag plug. And that can be really disheartening. And I feel like if you're a beginner, you're going through those beginning stages, the first couple of years, uh, don't let that discourage you because you know, there are, the six line rasses out there, you know, the, the, the pest eating fish, you can manually remove it. There's some chemicals I did not try. I think flatworm exit is the one, but I did not try that. I wanted to kind of stay away from any chemicals in the tank. But if you know, push comes to shove, that's available as well. So there's, I think there's a lot of ways that you can get around that and not to freak out about that kind of thing or overthink it too much.
2: Yeah, I mean, when, once you've got it, you're right, right? You can't freak out about it. You just have to deal with it. I mean, you, you really, it's something I adopted many years ago, is I only worry about the things that I can control. And once you have it, right, you can't, you don't worry about it in that sense, and now you just focus on what are you going to do to address it. I had a massive outbreak of red planaria in my my 10-foot reef at home and it was devastating because they they just one day they weren't there and the next day they're just everywhere like everything is covered I'm looking close and going what the hell is that and they're just everywhere it was it was a plague and There's just lots of good ways to take care of it. I went with a Melanaris rest that just decimated these guys. It was fantastic to watch that guy do its thing. And he actually turned into a super male in my tank, which was really, really cool to watch uh, him go through that entire life cycle. So.
0: It was because of the red planaria.
2: It was because of the red planaria. I never <laughs> would have nutritious. had that fish. Yeah. Yeah, ne- well, I never would have bought the, that wrasse if it wasn't for that issue. So it's not the end of the world, like you said, and good things can come out of it. I herbs. think
1: what's important for a lot of people is when they're starting off the tank early on, maybe having a, a stocking plan that they can put in place. So the biggest thing with something like planaria is having like you mentioned fish that graze on it naturally when it gets out of control with nothing consuming it it just explodes and and can have exponential growth to where a lot of times it can get so dense in a system that the fish even struggle to remove it and eat it at a fast enough rate to ever really knock it back enough, and then you may have to go through more drastic measures like dipping rocks or you know larger sections or doing flatworm exit or something like that. So you know, let's say you stocked your tank early on with a small ras, um, you know, like like Raj mentioned, or you know, even um, a dragonette or something like that. Uh, that's very invert safe is a, a great one to nibble on a lot of those planaria and many systems. Um, you know, especially if it's a larger tank that has some copepods and things like that in there. And they even have aquacultured ones now too, that pretty much eat frozen food right out the gate. So, you know, that's one of our go-to's I prefer them just because sometimes those wrasses can take out the shrimp, things like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wanted to start the conversation there. Kevin, do you have anything that, uh, that you believe is overthought in the hobby?
1: uh well you know a key area i would probably recommend for people to to look at is just source of information i mean that like you mentioned you can go down rabbit hole after rabbit hole after rabbit hole and start overthinking a lot of things and be overwhelmed with just the information that's out there like you start reading on reef to reef and then you get you know, 20 different opinions that kind of can accomplish the same goal, I would say, don't overthink it too much. Find one person that you really trust and lean on them for advice and guidance to kind of direct you down the path of success. Uh, if you're kind of starting off and you're, you're new and getting a, a new system rolling, you know, that would be very important.
0: Yeah, I even think for intermediate and advanced hobbyists too, I find myself getting caught up in that. You know, I'll, yeah. I'll find a, a new problem or something that I haven't seen before and I'll go down the, you know, the forum rabbit hole and then the YouTube rabbit hole and just see if anybody else has solutions or, you know, uh, if anybody's documented whatever I'm mm-hmm. going through. And a lot of times it's dealt with in a lot of different ways. I mean, the, I think the biggest thing would be, um, uh, what's the dinos. I mean, how many, mm-hmm. how many ways can you slice that apple? You know what I mean? There's so many different ways you can, you yeah. can battle that. And I feel like we still don't necessarily know the exact recipe. Uh, we have ideas, but I mean, that, that to me is probably one of the, one of the biggest things that we face nowadays.
1: Well, the hardest part with dinos for, for the average hobbyist is, uh, really understanding which specific strain of dinos you're dealing with, because the treatment and the course of action in general is just so different depending on that. Um, so, you know, the key to that would really be, I would hope you might have the option to maybe go to a local fish store with a, uh, a slide where you can run it under the microscope, or, you know, if you have an old one lying around from your chemistry or, you know, biology class or something like that. And, uh, You want to throw that on there um you can look through and kind of compare videos and and pictures and knock out what strain it is and then you can kind of go down that path but there is not really a one thing fixes all cure on that i mean it could be you know high organics you know uv sometimes works blackout sometimes works you know raising temperatures um you know running heavy carbon feeding bacterial dosing um you know silicates i mean there's just just endless possibilities and first place to start really would be figuring out what you got yeah which you know sometimes you can figure out just by looking closely at it and seeing pictures that aren't necessarily on a scope but the scope's the best option oh and i just made that way too complicated sorry
2: (laughs) (laughs) i think uh didn't richard ross um have a big write up on Reef Builders about his microscope. Yeah, and was it was actually it a, was
0: a it was fairly it was cheap an Amazon too. buy too. Yeah, it was an it was Amazon buy. I, was, I think it might have been like that's where we got ours. Two hundred yeah. and it came with an L LED screen that came with it, so you could actually like you didn't have to stick your your eye down in the hole. Oh, nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, but that, that I'll link that in the in the show notes for sure. But yeah, he did a he did a great write up on that. Yeah, uh, piece of equipment definitely a good thing to have in the, uh, in the arsenal for sure. Uh, Raj, anything or Kevin, I guess if, if you want to continue, if you've got anything else on your list, I've got some things too, but
2: I'll jump in, but my, my big one is, um, and, and this has really been a big problem with the way social media has exploded. And it's not just with reef tanks. It's every part of your, your life, right? When, when somebody posts a photograph of their reef, they're not f- posting a pic on a shitty day. They're posting the absolute best picture of the reef on a great day at that perfect angle where it just looks immaculate. And we tend to, and this is just human behavior. We tend to compare our worst day to their best day and you know, just mentally get bummed out that, man, my reef doesn't look like that right now. And that you really have to step back and just take it as inspiration and not as the standard because every day that tank doesn't look like that. You know, bodybuilders aren't that cut every day. They, they prep for those photo shoots and then they balloon back out to normal human being standards. uh, Models are, are, They don't look like that every day. Uh, It's just that part of society, I think, that really we get caught up in. And that leads to other issues. So you start looking say, well, what can I do to make my reef look like that? And then you start dosing all of these other things that maybe you're not testing for or controlling for or that you even need. And you overcomplicate your process to try and achieve an impossible standard because you saw a picture that they caught at the most perfect moment.
0: Yeah. They're dosing every trace element known to mankind. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Like, you know, you, you just naturally think like, well, what do I need to do to get to that? So my reef tank looks like that every single day of every moment. Like it, it's manicured. You know, I, I didn't post pictures of my, my reef tank on forums until I had cleaned the tank and, you know, it, the water had cleared from doing those water changes and the scrubbing. And it was the perfect opportunity to take a picture and the perfect day. You know, you, you have good days and bad days. Your, your reef is just like we are. It's a living organism. So it, it has its ups and downs. It's that's just normal life. And you don't take pictures and post it when you're in your downs, you take it when it, when it is great. So Just keep it, and that's a tough thing to do, right? It's easier said than done. I think
1: you're completely right, you know, and and the whole forum thing where people are showing all these complex builds, it just kind of snowballs into everyone wanting to kind of one up the next guy and do something crazier and bigger. And, you know, a lot of times it ends up taking a little of the fun out or, you know, delaying you actually enjoying the hobby as much, so you know that, that that's a good point for sure.
0: Yeah, I like that. I was gonna say if I took pictures of my tanks right now, it probably would be awesome. <laughs> uh, but all well, the, at all least the rocks the I made shelf. for you will be awesome. <laughs> Those are
1: take awesome. It bef-
2: <laughs> take take the pictures before your reef scabies come in. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh reef <scabies>. oh. <laughs> uh,
0: overbuying gear I have on my list mm. just and I, I know this is a, a little bit harder for you know your budget reefer to do and I have always considered myself to be a budget reefer someone who's not necessarily just buying equipment to buy equipment but uh, you know you see like like you guys have both said now well, this guy's doing it. Look at his tank. He's got X, Y, and Z reactor going at, at the same time. So I need that too. That's obviously working for him. So that's what I need. So you end up buying all of these pieces of equipment or dosing every trace element under the sun and not knowing what you're, what you're testing for, or, you know, you get an ICP test back and you're like, Oh no, like I have all these things that I need to start putting in my tank. Uh, I think that that can, that can be a slippery slope as well.
2: Yeah, definitely. And and I know like, you know, Kevin, you do you do this and you touched on it earlier, but every single system is different. Even if you're setting it up, like even if the same person is setting it up. I've set up and designed thousands of systems out there, and even still there are differences in each one. You know, that things have to be calibrated just a little bit differently. The skimmer needs to be tuned a little bit differently. Your calcium demands are a little bit different. Like just they're just different. So what is the perfect scenario and solution for you doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be the perfect scenario for me. Like my equipment can be different or may need to be different.
1: Yeah. And I mean, a lot of that kind of comes into experience too, and really understanding what each piece of equipment does. You know, the more experience you have, you can, utilize a lot more of these tools in harmony rather than just necessarily overdoing the same thing with three different devices, you know? So the main success I would say overall in a, um, a system is just stability and, um, balance. Really. Those are the main things you're trying to achieve to have a successful reef tank. So if you're talking about nutrient input, and nutrient export, you know, i made that mistake, um, you know, in the earlier days when I got past some of my initial reef tanks and then I start geeking out and saying, okay, well, you know, I want to do this, this and that. And the next thing I know, you know, everything's stripped out to zero and I'm wondering why some of the stuff's bleaching out or, you know, I noticed in certain systems that were built differently, like, um, you know, bare bottom, shallow coral uh, vats, they needed significantly lower turnover rates. Um, a lot of them we didn't even need to run protein skimmers on or, or run reactors on or anything like that. They just ran significantly simpler and cleaner overall. So uh, a thing I would say really helps build those fundamentals would be starting even with something as simple as a nanotank, because it kind of forces you to really observe and get down to the basics in the reef and really understand how things are going and and becoming one and observing and it just simplifies it down to the the core where you're talking about you know cleaner crew um, water changes basic maintenance like filter media and and putting simple chemicals in the back but there's not as much equipment that can go wrong or overcomplicate it and confuse you so you know a lot of times people say start with a bigger tank but I think if you're really trying to accelerate the learning curve, a nano can be excellent for that too, and and it keeps your budget down a little bit initially too, so you can try out different things.
0: And when you're buying That's that a, nano tank from TopshelfAquatics.com, <laughs> um, <laughs> overnight, <laughs> well, well we don't a really skimmer shim- and things, reactor right? manufacturer. No, shim- that is <laughs>
2: blasphemy. You definitely need a skimmer and <laughs> reactor. <laughs> It so just depends here. on how many fish you want to cram in there. I mean,
1: like you were saying, some of those um, social media videos where they have just yeah. thousands of fish swimming around in huge schools, it's just not quite achievable. I mean, I've experienced that a lot with you know our customers who come into the shop and you know, just constantly dealing with high nitrates and phosphates. And they even, you know, come up to us and say, well, you know, the water's just not staying clean enough what's going on i got this giant skimmer i'm doing all the right things i even got bio pellets and then you just ask them hey well how often are you feeding well my wife gets the bag of fish food and every time they look hungry you know (laughs) she's just throwing a handful in there and yeah yeah sometimes you got to be a little careful about that stuff because the fish always look hungry so just kind of understanding how to keep that balance Yeah. It, it, well, you, you,
2: you nailed it, right? You don't need to have a protein skimmer. You don't need reactors. What, what the trade-off there is, if you don't have one of those things, you're just going to have to do more water changes and things like that. So it's all doable without all of the fancy equipment. And it just really depends on what you want to do. In your nano, you have to manually do those things because it's going to be really difficult to get a skimmer in there and reactors in there and whatnot. Uh, but stability is key, right? So, and, w- and we often get caught up in chasing those numbers. That's a big thing that we do is we chase numbers. And our you, you want to try and hit that pH of 8.2, but you're at 7.8 and you keep trying to change it. Well, just as long as it's 7.8 stable, you're good. I, my reef tank was 8.4 and I didn't worry about it because it was consistent it was just stable and that's where i kept it that's just where it was going to be um and i think people forget that stability trumps any specific number right like you might have that holy grail number that you're going for but a stable number that is not that number is better than a constant yo-yo and up and down and you're constantly having to tinker or add or adjust and just all of that manipulation that people end up doing to chase the numbers.
1: Yeah. And I mean, every person, depending on what level of the hobby they're in and what challenge they want, can kind of look at it. And if you want to take it to that next level and really try to optimize that pH and accelerate the growth of your SPS, Um, then go for it, you know, if you've got to that point. But like you said, I mean, even if your pH is at 7.8, I had a lot of tanks that had lots of nice acropora growing great. And, you know, it didn't necessarily need to have those, those spot on numbers. Now, obviously for us, you know, being a coral farm, I have a whole team, you know, we're like, F1 formula racers, everything is very complicated and we're trying to optimize everything to accelerate the growth the most we possibly can, but you know, you can't compare it. It's not apples to apples and you know, you might not want to spend five hours a week on your tank. You might want to spend maybe 30 minutes and that's very achievable to still have a great looking aquarium.
0: Yeah. Kevin, uh, while I'm thinking about this in the moment, I feel like there's a lot of guys and girls out there that are chasing that Acropora color Mm -hmm. that you guys do so well. And, you know, if you again, going out to the forums and things like that, you, you bake it at 800 par, you know, 800 micromoles or whatever it is. You know, you see all these crazy things that people are doing, but from your perspective, you guys do this on a daily basis now. You've kind of honed it in. Where would you start with that?
1: Uh, Well, if you're starting into the SPS game uh, and trying to, you know, get more of those difficult colors to come out, I mean, the pH can be a good one to hit on, but a lot of it has to do with the nutrients. You know, I've seen a lot of people obsess about perfect water quality. We actually aim to not achieve perfect water quality, as crazy as that sounds. I mean, we, we never want to even come close to really bottoming out on nitrate or phosphate. Now, some of the buffer we keep in our systems um, is because we haven't packed so full. But that being said, I would never really go below 0.05. You know, it leaves um, that kind of level of phosphate in the water where it's not going to grow algae too crazy and we usually don't go below 10 on nitrate either Uh, and we achieve great color and we hit the corals pretty heavy with deep blue spectrums but we run you know at least three to four hours of intense uh white spectrum as well and uh yeah proper nutrition too for the coral and we throw in the various phytoplankton and pets and, and stuff like that, too, just to add a little extra. But I've had great reef tanks, too, where just the fish poop has led to great colors as well. So, you know, it's not always a one size fits all, but that's what we do. And we've had great success uh, over and over continuously in many different systems. And I think being able to duplicate success is one of the most important important things to to kind of define what what a credible source of information is so you know anyone who wants to kind of get guidance down that path and get more into the sps i mean they can definitely reach out and we can help them with questions and tune into some of the videos that we're posting
0: did you guys ever buy into the whole zero zero thing zero nitrates zero phosphates ultra low nutrient systems did you guys ever buy then, you know you i never really for a while.
1: dug deep into the whole Z of it thing um i mean that wasn't really uh, i mean it just i had a lot of tanks before we started top shelf aquatics uh just i mean i probably had like 10 tanks running i think and a mini farm at my house before all this stuff even started and then when we went to the store i mean just the idea of dealing with the micromanagement to that level wasn't really practical and most of the people that i knew who did go that route, didn't have that much success with it. Now you do see some crazy tanks that, you know, have those really uh, pastel colors and insane growth and things like that. But it's not really the rich, vibrant color that I like to see in the really healthy, the healthy, healthy corals that, that we keep. And, you know, I think the way we do it, they're hardier and, and more consistent. And how they'll look in most people's tanks when they actually get them as, to po- as opposed to, um, you know, something that might be in a system that's not really achievable for the average hobbyist.
2: Yeah, the Zeovit tanks were, like you said, pastelli and and yeah. they're delicate tanks, but man, mm-hmm. I I love that look. I thought it was just so cool, but I don't have the patience for that, so I never really attempted it, but... Admired it from afar for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, I had a lot of issues in the past where you kind of dip down too low on the nutrients. You start to see certain things, you know, maybe RTNing a little bit or STNing. So I think that's a real fine line in, you know, really accelerating things and getting that look versus the health of the coral, which can be achieved by having, um, you know, a little higher nutrients. And it's, usually easier to maintain a mixed reef that way too. So if you're going to be putting a lot of softies and LPS in there as well, we've found that they, they do appreciate a little higher levels, as long as you can maintain, um, you know, minimal algae. Yeah. I mean, maybe fish selection sometimes can be a, a thing that people can overthink a little bit, you know, like they may have goals that are a little too far out there, you know, like, Oh, I want to have, you know, 10 tangs in this reef tank and I've seen these people doing it and, you know, I'm going to go and I'm going to get a gem tang and a yellow tang and a purple tang, and I'm going to have them all living together and QT them and, you know, keep them in there for two months. And I'm not going to have a spot of ick and, you know, that, I, I wouldn't yeah, that's, recommend that's going been down been that problem. path. I mean, that's, that's more of a high level risky, risky game there.
2: That's been my problem on the coral side, just perusing yeah. through your, damn website and like oh i want that one that one that one that one and i don't have the real estate for that and so that that's been frustrating on my end because i want it all i want all the stuff
0: yeah but well, like you, you like, know like you, said, you start
1: whole... with frags and keep your favorites <laughs>
0: yeah or have a have that stock list i think that that's huge i i, I have not done that i am mm-hmm. the Yellow Tang, Jim Tang, Purple Tang guy right now. And I need to sit down and kind of hone in what what I really want to put and throw into this uh, this Red Sea
1: behind me. So, well, I mean, you have a lot of experience and you have a wealth of information at your disposal to achieve that if you want to. And you also know the risks so you know that's that's kind of you know it's it's not that you can't challenge yourself with those things i'm not trying to be negative about that i will always encourage people to push the limits and go to the extremes when it comes to their reef tanks but you know maybe not if you're starting off or it's um you know a tank that you may not like oh i had a 20 gallon Nuvo and i was doing really well now i'm gonna jump right into this and Do all the crazy stuff that i saw in andrew sandler's tank you know it's (laughs) it's uh yeah maybe there's a middle ground there
2: sounds like me i jumped from my 29 gallon to my 10 by 3 by 3 reef
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think
0: i think the course of action with this new tank is just going to kind of be what i've always done and that's start with the basics and just kind of add as i go as i need and I think that with this, I've had the luxury of, you know, having all the equipment that I need up front, which is not something that I'm used to. So I do have a protein skimmer and I do have the reef mat in there right now. Highly doubt that I'll need the protein skimmer for quite some time, uh, given the, the, you know, the track record of the reef mats. And honestly, with a bare bottom tank and, you know, all the things that are kind of minimizing the risk other than my my ocean scabies that are coming in the mail uh (laughs) uh i think just uh, you just have to start from the basics and then build from there because once you've managed those things you know those add on add on add on i think that where people might get a little bit overboard is when they they get to that point where i don't know maybe they get uh a little bored with things and they start adding on things that don't really need to be there. Um, but yeah, I'm not there yet. So,
1: yeah. Well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) Except, well, we kind of do that all the time at top shelf. You know, we were always (laughs) trying to make it better, but you know, usually we do. Usually we do. Uh, with one, one advice I would give you with your setup is, you know, even if you don't think you're going to use that equipment, just leave a spot for it just in case, you know, so that way you don't end up having to tear apart wire management or add another cabinet down the road or something like that, you know? So, um, that's always valuable. I've made that mistake.
0: Yeah. It's in there. It's uh and I think it'll probably just stay in there until, until online, but we'll see, we'll see how that goes. I just need to, I need to get all the cables managed and all that kind of stuff. So, I think right. there's some uh, some valuable information in here for everybody listening. So I'm, I'm happy that we kind of got some of that out there and into the wild. Uh, if there's nothing else, you guys have anything else you want to talk about? Kevin, yeah, any plugs for Top Shelf? Enough. Anything you guys got coming up? Any events or live sales or anything like that?
1: Don't know off the top of my head. Uh, we just had a big sale, so I don't think right away but you know we're always doing something so yeah we got some nice corals some new releases that we're getting ready to to pop up on the site so yeah just keep posted very cool
0: and if you want to see you guys you're you're still selling those structures right your aquascapes you're still selling Mm -hmm. those on the website yep if you want to see any of kevin's work it's all up on uh, the website top shelf Aquatics?
1: Actually right now it's not. It's not on the <laughs> website. <laughs> so don't we know, are getting okay. ready to switch the website. So all the ones that were loaded on there actually are sold. And I have a slew of them built though and a lot of the work I do is custom. So if you if you were interested just reach out, you know, through online sales at Top Shelf Aquatics or, you know, social media or anything like that and we can set you up. But um, yeah it'll be on the website soon.
0: Very cool. Very cool well, Kevin, I want to thank you for joining us on the podcast tonight. If you've got any questions for Kevin or for Raj or myself, go ahead and leave them in the comment section below. If you're listening to the audio-only version, then you can find us on the Reef Builder socials. I want to thank you guys for, for joining me on this evening or wherever this podcast finds you, and we will catch you in the next one. Yep. Thanks Take for having
1: out. me. Thanks, guys.